0: So very good morning to uh, all of you, uh, ladies and gentlemen. At the outset, let me congratulate uh, the uh, Shared Services uh, Forum for uh, putting together the uh, sixth edition of the BPM Shared Services Conclave. Personally, I feel uh, that uh, conclaves, um, associations, confederations, um, federations, and so on and so forth are extremely important for um, a number of reasons. You know, we um, as a industry bodies have certainly helped in terms of um, uh, making the governments understand and create the p- right policy environments for the industry to survive and thrive. We've also been in a position to take um, all the challenges that we have for the industry back uh, to the various different stakeholders, whether it's the garment or even for the matter of society. But equally important is the fact, as a group we could probably do much better And um, as a group, when we start sharing our best practices, I think that's one way that we are in a position to do better and better, not better and better against each other, but better as a nation as such. So again, um, congratulations for the people who have um, um, been instrumental in creating the Shared Services Forum and for this uh, sixth edition. Let me then move on and then thank uh, Mr. Uh, Ravi Ramakrishnan for inviting me for this event this morning, but for the fact that it was his uh, persistent calls all the time, uh, I wouldn't have been here. I'm so glad I'm here, I learned many things about what uh, all of you are doing together. So thank you Ravi uh, again for uh, uh, inviting me. What I intend to do in the next, uh, I was told 15 minutes, uh, I'll try to see how, how best I can do it in that 15 minutes, is to talk to you all about what I see as the future of the uh, Indian IT industry. The setting was uh, extremely well uh, laid out earlier uh, this morning. Uh, Words like VUCA, change, uh, are all music to my ears. Uh, Maybe it's been reused or overused if somebody said that. Uh, But all the same, I think uh, there are things which uh, all of us have to be aware. If you go back to um, the civilization, mankind and change have been almost synonymous of each other. The um, steel age gave way to stone age. The first industrial revolution, largely driven by steam, gave way to the um, uh, steel age. And then you saw the second industrial revolution, which is largely being driven by assembly line manufacturing, or the third one which came by ICT. But each one of these disruptions that you have seen, you have to recognize two things. One is the economic benefits of mankind improved, so which means economically, if you look at GDP of nations, GDP of individuals across the world multiplied themselves because of this change that came by. The second one that we've also seen is the well-being of people has also changed. Uh, health, hygiene, transportation, you name any, every one of them that we have seen tremendous amount of comfort well being of human beings have changed but all the same it also created challenges since we talked about job job losses uh, in the earlier session to give you a flavor i believe before the first industrial revolution 80% 80% of american population was engaged in one profession what was the profession Agriculture. But by now, if you look at it, not necessarily even the first industrial solution, I believe you just go back by 100 years, that's how the numbers were. 60% of America was engaged in agriculture as their profession. Right now, just 2% of America gets engaged in agriculture as a profession, feeding all the 300 million people. So what happened to the other 58% of people? They, fo- they found new jobs. They found better jobs. So certainly, I guess you know as these changes happen, uh, we'll certainly see challenges, but we'll also find ways and means by which these challenges are uh, addressed. But more importantly, interestingly, is the change that we see now hasn't been experienced by mankind so far? If you look at uh, I mean my generation, I went to uh, uh, used to go to my village as a small child and get off at the railway station. Uh, in rural Andhra, and the only way that we went by was use a bullock cart. That's the only mode of transport that is available. To the extent that you get to the other extreme end, where you can probably drive at about 160 kilometers on a highway right now with great amount of comfort, uh, there's no dust, there's no heat, and there is tremendous amount of comfort. So the change that we have seen in a single generation, single generation, hasn't been done in the past. We don't even know when it's possible in the future. Except one case that people keep talking about is possibly when the genomes will start going and um, combining themselves in atoms. That's when possibly the next revolution could happen much faster than what we are today. But we haven't seen this amount of change. So as I keep saying, velocity of change has dramatically increased. And added to this velocity, back to the VUCA world, is that the uncertainty has also dramatically improved. So therefore, we we live in a world which is literally moving uh, at a very rapid pace. And therefore, it becomes very imperative for all of us to change. Our um, uh, earlier speaker, um, um, Gills talked about not having uh, business plans or not making plans for 10 years and so on and so forth. Very valid and true, sir. But all the same, it's important how do I think about tomorrow rather than I just play it by the year tomorrow, it becomes slightly challenging. So today's environment, if you look at it, is being challenged by multiple forces. It's actually not just one disruption called technology, which I'll come to in a minute. But there are many others which are going in tandem with them. The second one, I think, you know, was a very surprise to many of us, including me personally, is the protectionism that we are seeing in the last three to four years. People talked about uh, uh, Brexit. People talked about the Trump. But you look a little more further. Um, U.S. has been creating a lot of protectionist tendencies by making sure that we have restrictions on visas. Uh, Europe has been creating tremendous amount of uh, challenges, especially for the BPO business or the BPM business at this point of time by making by, by saying that data is extremely protected. There's several restrictions on data movement at this point of time. And the fact, according to me, is that whenever you see an economic downturn, the, f- the governments come and step up and make sure they stabilize the environment is yet another way of protectionism. Because if truly, we were to have a world which has to be absolutely open, globalized, then why should we be protected? Somebody else would have come and taken that particular slot. So therefore, the second one is the protectionism that I'm talking about. A third one is, the ne- world has never been as interconnected as what it is today. That makes the world completely a different place. To give you a data point, I believe when fixed lines were there, there were a billion of us who were been connected together when around the world. When the mobile phones, uh, the smart mobile phones, came came into our hands and pockets of uh, each one of us, the numbers are now moving to $2 billion. But with Internet of Things, which is now also connected on the same internet as you and me, there are 7.4 billion of them who are there on on the net. Predictions are by 2020, you will see there are as many as 20 billion people and devices which will be connected together. So it's an explosion of connectedness. It's not just an explosion of connectedness. Connect now with the technologies that are there underlying it. It's an explosion of data, which is thereafter saying it's an explosion of information that comes in. We're also seeing some more um, challenges which um, were predicted to a certain extent. Aging population in Europe, that certainly changes the whole geopolitical status uh, around the world. And finally, we're also seeing that tremendous amount of industrialization in Asia Pacific. There's a report recently I was reading that out of the Fortune 500 companies today, no more than 100 of them are in this part of the world, Asia Pacific, Pacific Rim. But the predictions are by 2025, I believe, 10 years from now, they're saying that 50% of Fortune 500 companies will be in this part of the world. So the point I like to make is that there is a tremendous amount of disruption And I'll conclude it by saying this, it is not an ordinary disruption. So let's look at for a moment, how is technology changing at this point of time? I'm sure every one of you in this room would tell me all about Moore's Law. Gordon Moore told us way back in 1975, 1976, saying that the cost of uh, chip would go down by half, it'll become faster uh, in every two years, it'll become smaller in every two years. Those are the two two twos, uh, he puts together And many people said, oh, Gordon Moore is a crazy guy. He never knew what he was talking about. But the fact of life is that Gordon Moore has wrong in some ways because it didn't take 24 months for the chip size to go down by half, or to become faster by twice, or to become cheaper by half. It looks less than uh, 24 months, it takes about 18 months now. And that pace continues to be there. And with that pace that's continuing, you're still seeing devices which are very smaller and cheaper. Let's look at three things which are making tremendous amount of impact on all of us. One is the devices itself, the IOT, sensors, Internet of Things, that's what they can say. Internet of Things is nothing but the start point of them is nothing but sensors. A sensor is equivalent to a resistor, capacitor, et cetera. When um, Simon Cray built computers way back in 1976, a resistor used to cost $17 a piece. For $17 today, you'll get a million um, sensors, resistors, capacitors, that's what you get. That's the way in which the cost has come down. Even after that, you see, look at it, the storage has become very cheap. I belong to a generation where uh, I started uh, my first Rindu with computers, when I, I'm sure many of you would smile at me by saying when, I, when most of you were not even born, that was uh, way back in 1971 uh, uh, in IIT Kanpur, the computer that uh, was there in IIT Kanpur, which was the best computer center in the country, was housed in a room of this size, if not slightly bigger than this room. And very interestingly, there used to be a, uh, uh, a fountain, a water fountain, in front of the computer center. And, you know, people used to, uh, the first impression used to be oh my God, this is an amazing fountain. Architecturally, it's a marvel, it was. The way in which the water used to go gush out all around. But the truth of the matter was, it actually was a cooling tower which cooled the computer. That's the amount of water that's required. And what was the power of that computer? The IBM 7044 was in no more than a fraction of what many of us have in our pockets, a smartphone. And so look at the cost too. If you, I believe, go back to 1984 and um, look at some of the features that are built into an iPhone, for instance, you can count 18 distinctively different features in an iPhone. You have voice. That's the communication part of it. You have a computer. Your email is going. You can do a word. You can do a spreadsheet. You can name them. You could do video chatting. The Skype is on. You can do uh, your mapping. You can also do uh, geological positioning. The GPS is uh, in place, and there are sensors. Which can do many more things than we anticipated. Those, if it were put together, way back in 1984, if those features, which were all discrete products by themselves, it would cost somewhere in the range of a million dollars, 984 million dollars, 984 thousand dollars or so was the number that I said. What do you get now? That for for 400 dollars, you get an iPhone with all those features, if not more than what I counted so far. So the result is one key driver is that, and the storage has also become very cheap. So a third one is the connectivity. Connectivity was extremely difficult. So therefore the big disruption that's happening is because of the sensors, the storage. Storage, when I mean storage, I also com- computation that goes along with it, and finally the connectedness. That is making tremendous amount of change. The second one is that we also believe Technology has become globalized. What do we think Gmail was? What did Google introduce Gmail for It was a person-to-person communication. You and I, good friends, wanted to communicate. We didn't want to use the the, uh, company uh, email system. We had a personalized email called the Gmail address. But look at once it has become globalized, now a number of companies believe that Gmail is much cheaper than having your own private servers. Or the acceptability of technology has now, from becoming a C to C, citizen to citizen, a consumer to a consumer, customer to a customer, moves into a mode of a C to B. Good example, what is WhatsApp being used for? I had a conversation, I had a chat, right? Outstanding, absolutely. I also use WhatsApp quite a bit. But what are the newer applications in WhatsApp? A doctor in rural India today wants to communicate with a specialist in uh, the urban India, the mode of communication he has in communicating all those X-rays, all those um, uh, sonograms, is all through WhatsApp. So therefore, this technology, which was originally intended for doing something, is now going anywhere else, and it becomes globalized. So the applications are plenty. And technologies are harping on one another. While one side, you call a Uber, a disruptive technology. It disrupted, it disrupted the taxi business. What is it? To me, I keep describing it as a platform. Platform which aggregated one side customers, the other side taxis. His value, he never, I mean uh, Uber um, does not own a single uh, taxi by themselves. They all are people who come and um, participate in this particular platform. While that itself was a disruption, Look at the technology disru- technology that harps on that and make sure it multiplies. What was Paytm has a role to play in Uber? Because all transactions now happen because of Paytm on Uber. So one technology multiplies the impact on another technology. Paytm is multiplied because of the Uber coming into play. So you see, more amount of them are coming in uh, uh, and certainly, we find that a sum total of all this is a big disruption coming on technology. We're also saying, and I was very impressed with my previous panel, um, uh, they talked about many things, and one of them is a changing face of customers too. And I think that is where most of you have to definitely be very, very concerned about. And I am also a part of this particular deal. Where were the customers in 1990s? The customer said, Look, do it on a TNM basis, which means they give me warm bodies and then I will uh, ask them, I'll get the job done by them. Then came the situation, they said, You know, we'll do standard pricing. At least he said, I'll give you the job, you tell me how it costs, but I will tell you how it's to be done. So, what have I done? What have I contributed at that point of time is train my engineers to say, Just follow what the customer says. Customer knows the best. Customer tells you, how it is to be done, just follow it. Fast forward, 2015. Where is the customer today? Customer says, I don't know what to do. Here is my problem. Please solve it. So, from a type B individual, you need to transform not just yourself, but your organizations to type A organizations. I think, I lead, I solve, as opposed to I follow, I learn, I go behind people. So, the Customer has changed dramatically compared to what uh, we have seen. This disruption is further leading into the decision making as a consequence of this is not resident on a single guy called a CIO. My business that we described or um, the young lady described all about me is that I do engineering as a service. That's what my core competence is. or I, I probably is moving into more of uh, providing product solutions to our customers. And in that particular case, my decision maker was my VP of engineering. But today it is not true. Go back to the example I said, the, the VP of engineering gave me project, for instance, the vice president of Boeing said, you know, you know we got to have this um, Boeing 747-400s are being transformed into 800s with a big top. There's structural analysis issues that are there. Can you come and help pe- with people who can solve the problems? That's how the customer was. And whereas now, it's not him. It's the chief marketing officer of Boeing is now saying, look, I have a challenge with the Airbus 350. The 777 is a good answer. Can we think about a better answer? And this is a conversation that we have with them. And say, what are the answers that you can provide to us? So therefore, the decision making is different from what it was in the past. The people who are designing are certainly far, far different wo- from what they are. And what is the other expectation that we're seeing today? And I think I briefly mentioned about is the customer wants us to be more innovative. Innovation is the p- key paradigm shift that we think about. We, as an orga- uh, individuals, as organizations in the BPM industry too, we've done lots of innovation, right? It is all to do with process innovation. We said how things can do be- can be done better how can I bring more amount of productivity? How can I save some of your costs? But today the customer is not looking at the innovation as a small step. He is looking at complex innovation. He wants a solution for that complex drive. Pardon me, I may not be in a position to give you an example uh, from BPM, but let me give you an example of an, uh, a medical electronics. We um, used to build um, a, a black box, which is all to do with taking the signals from one side from an ECG machine and then providing the sinusoidal waveforms that come by. But that's old technology. The customer and we sat together to say, you know, what should be the new technology? And here's it, how it goes. You know, if you, uh, some of you might have experienced this, might not have experienced it, but people like me go through every uh, six months, you go through this ECG. And what is it, you know, they put leads on your chest, on your um, uh, ankles, on your uh, uh, arms, and then start uh, uh, running a number of wires on your body, finally goes into a black box, and the black box makes sinusoidal waveforms. Occasionally the waveform goes flat, and people like me, lying on the bed, keep thinking I must be dead, because you know, the waveform is not there anymore. But the two factors, that's making poor connection on the chest, nothing more than that. But look at the new technology with IoT devices now that you just, this is, uh, this is the one which we did for a customer, you just stick them onto the chest. They're all throwable. They're so cheap. There's no more wiring. They're all uh, self-energized. There's Bluetooth built into them. They just signal it uh, to that box. You don't even need the damn box any longer. The small little attachment that goes on an iPhone that takes all the data, and then what does it do? It doesn't show any more of those sinusoidal waveforms. It shows you three lights a green light, an orange light, or a red light. It tells you clearly, therefore, whether you're clean, you require attention, or you need an ambulance right away. So the result, this is, to me, uh, uh, not even complex innovation. To me, it's a moderate innovation. What, to me, is complex innovation in the current world that we live, is that it doesn't stop with the red light, orange light, or the green light, but it has to go into the second, next mode of saying, can I predict when this particular patient, if he continues with the same habits, the same medication, when he or she will suffer a heart attack? That's called predictive analytics. See, that is the expectation of the customer today. He only knows that how can I, the, the, the question that they pose to us is, how can I be better than my competition? Uh, can you reduce the noise on the aircraft engine? These are the type of questions that will come by, and as we move forward, uh, they'll become more and more. What do we um, need to do? The, uh, uh, we'll come to what do we need to do. Yet another challenge. The type of skills are far different from this type of skills that we have seen so far. Are people asking for programming? Yeah, programming will not disappear, but they like expect people to have a lot more knowledge than just programming. Can be just an agent? Uh, no, they like him to be a lot more than the agent. So the Expectation, in terms of the skill requirements, are far different. And the skills are changing quite rapidly. This is like my uh, first example I gave, agriculture, to what it is today in life. So you won't have the same amount of need. So therefore the predictions, as uh, one of the research reports says, that 33% of today's jobs will disappear. 60% of the employees that we have in IT, it enabled services, which includes all of them, BPM, BPO, et cetera, et cetera, will have to be retrained. To be reskilled because of the change in technology, because of the change in customer experience. So, the result is all of that. I'm at my 15 minutes, I need to uh, wind down as ASAP. Is that I would say a couple of things that we need to do. One is the first and foremost, with this technology innovation that's happening, we need to build innovative organizations. Innovation has to mean become the DNA of every company in India. Only then we will survive. Innovation is not something that I can prescribe, I can't teach, but I can create an environment, I can create an ecosystem which will make sure that people in an organization constantly innovate. We go to the next stage of saying, uh, the, Our last question that we asked in an innovation meeting was, what is the next innovation by our innovation team? That's the pace at which innovation goes on. I have five prescriptions for innovation. First is, allow everybody to challenge the status quo. They should say, why this way? Why not something different? And when you ask this question, why, that's when you'll see a better answer. The second one is that we should tolerate failures. I keep saying that we celebrate failures, uh, not necessarily, uh, uh, rephrase that, we celebrate learnings from failures. A third one is that, you know, we somehow, as Indians, I'm an Indian, so I'm saying this loudly and clearly, are not persistent with things. Something doesn't work, move on to the next one, man, doesn't matter. Two years into a job, a guy says, you know, I'm already skilled, finite element analysis. His counterpart in the United States has 25 years experience in the same job, doing it over and over again. A third one is that we have to have the ability to work as teams, that's when innovation will come by. And in the world that we live, innovation has to be open innovation. So the first prescription I have is organizations have to be innovative. The second prescription I have is that we should definitely be learning organizations. Learning will not stop for any individual in any company, irrespective of any role that they do. And the good news that we have is learning is not currently limited to going to a library. I still belong to a generation right? Kanpur. can't pour eyes to go for a book. And the librarian uh, used to tell me, oh, Mohan, the book has gone just now. So what's the next step? So you have to write in the wait list. There are two people ahead of you in the wait list. So which means six weeks was the time it would take before you get that book. I'm sitting in the car, I'm sitting in my plane, I've already lo- downloaded on the Kindle, the book is there when I want. It's 10.30 in the night, I'm not still feeling sleepy, I'm reading a book again a book of my choice, so I can learn anytime, anywhere, anything I need. That's the big good news. But the bad news is, can we motivate our people to do that? And that I will leave it to uh, uh, all of you. So therefore, the learning will lead into skilling. We have to definitely help these people to skill. Irrespective of what it is, it is honestly very concerning Because at least our belief is 30 to 33% of people cannot be skilled in our organizations. So, what's next for them? We have to find alternatives for them. So, therefore, the second prescription is all about the skilling part. The third one is it weaves into all of them the protectionism, the customer is changing, uh, and will lead into a situation where we will have to definitely move into a modern model where. We have to have larger amount of on-site presence. There's no choice to, um, um, but to address this particular part by making sure we have on-site presence. The second one is, it's not the traditional sales guy who will go and do the sales job. We have to move into a mode of business development. And please be aware, your sales cost will go up. And then you have to get into a mode where you have a solution selling, and not you know you can't have uh, bits and pieces being sold to the customer. So you, and and as a result of that, we keep saying, your R&D cost of every IT, IT IT-enabled service company in the country will increase. So therefore, three things. Innovation, reskilling, and the third one is making sure that you now hear the customer. I think so well said in my previous panel, that customer becomes very important, not that was not less important anymore. Please understand the current customer and make sure that you meet his requirements. This industry was $100 million in 1991, that's when I started. The software services part itself of this industry grew to become $126 billion over a period of 25 years. We just celebrated 25 years of NASCOM uh, when I was uh, chairing it till April of uh, this year. You take your and do uh, what is the percentage, uh, it'll show an error, that's what it is but that's what this nation did. Moving forward, though uh, we heard that you know, predictions are uh, difficult to make, but these are fairly intense production that have been done. We think that this industry will go to, uh, from current $125 billion of software-, software exports to $225 billion by 2020 and $350 billion by 2025, which will give you a compounded annual growth rate of about eight to 10%. It's still feasible. Uh, We're predicting that this year we'll do very close to that 10% number, um, but there's also currency, volatility, et cetera, et cetera, leave it apart. But a key thing is that in in 2015, the digital content in this revenues were no more than 5%. By 2025, it'll become 25%, by 20, sorry, by 2020, it'll become 25%, by 2025, it'll become 40%. So it's a huge challenge, but from challenges also come opportunities. So great opportunities in front of you. It, think it all depends upon the mindset you have. It's not the challenge, but it's the opportunity. And as I keep saying, I'm past where I'm in my life, as the biological clock ticks, what I see in front of my eyes is my future. I see a lot of smiling faces, lots of shining eyes. And therefore, I go to bed by saying, my future is in safe hands. Thank you.